Well, guys, it's very interesting. God uh, got me up really early this morning. I mean, I get up early on Tuesday mornings anyway, but it was about 3.15, and God starts stirring in me about some things here and with our speaker this morning. I'm very excited to have Robbie Dawkins with us this morning, but he started speaking to me some things about the sons of Issachar. And if you look in First Chronicles, I think it's around chapter 22, 23 in that uh, area there, um, I'm not really like a, an Old Testament drawn to person. I'm, I'm a little more focused on the, the New Testament, but, you know, God just starts revealing some things to me about the sons of Issachar that uh, that whole um, group there, they were men that were really called in, uh, they had God's wisdom to really discern the times that they're in and the season that they're in and having God's wisdom to really apply. Well, you know, Reload is about equipping men to change their world. And if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say this before, it's good to go to church. It's a, it's a very good thing. I'm part of the church. We all are. But it's actually better to be the church about doing the works of Jesus. And then God's put on my heart about today is a Jewish uh, holiday. And I thought, what? So I start looking it up, and I thought, October 22, what is that? I'm not really familiar with it. And um, it talked about when I started Googling it on the Internet, it said October 21st. And I thought, well, I missed it there. But the Jewish timetable is, is the Jewish calendar, or actually the day starts at sunset, on the 21st and goes through the 22nd. So it actually is the 22nd, and the holiday is Sabbat Torah, which really completes the public reading of the Torah, which represents God's word. And um, they finish reading it publicly, and they start a new cycle of reading it. But it completes on this day, and I thought, God, what's this all about? Well, really... You know, people are more moved by our actions than our words, right? So there is a time where God pours his word into us, and it's very important. But it's part of being the church and actually putting God's word to action. And I just want to stir you up and encourage you with that word this morning. And I really feel that God has placed that anointing on Robbie. And we're really here to receive that impartation. And would you please welcome Robbie as he comes to share what God's put on his heart to share with us this morning. Let's welcome him. Amen. Thank you. Bless you guys. Man, you guys get up early. So I'm going to lean on this as I talk to you. <laughs> uh, wow, so cool. Um, I'm going to be... Um, I'm not going to talk to you about evangelism or anything like that. Um, I want to talk to you kind of, uh, a, lot of a lot of people don't realize, I mean, they, they see me in my role now as, as an evangelist, but they don't realize that I senior pastored for 17 years, and then I youth pastored for 12 years before that. Um, you can do the math. I started ministry when I was eight years old, so that was, um, it's too early for that joke, I guess. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I want to um, I want to just kind of share from the heart. Um, I, I told my wife uh, a couple of years ago. I said, you know, I, I want to do a I, I want to do a message sometime. 
you know, it, where, where I go in, people are, of course, expecting me to share about what we're doing around the world. And I love to talk about that. I mean, that lights me up. It gives me incredible joy. And um, it's, it's exciting. It's on the cutting edge. It's, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of a guy by the name of Guillermo Maldonado down in Miami. Um, he's, I think it's the fourth largest church or fifth largest church in the United States. But I was speaking at his church um, a couple months ago, and he, he told me, he goes, I don't know anyone doing what you're do doing in the world. He goes, literally, he goes, and, and he goes, it's two parts. He goes, I don't know anyone who's crazy enough, and I don't know anyone who's courageous enough. And he goes, and that crazy and cour courageous goes together. And I said, haven't they always? Haven't they always been coupled together? Um, but we were uh, talking about it. He says, I don't know anybody d doing that. But I, I, I and, and so I'm, of course, that was affirming to me. It's encouraging because my passion has always been like Paul. I want to go where the gospel is not being preached or where it's not, you know, easily received and, and uh, make it open up. But, but I don't want to talk to you about any of that uh, today. I just want to kind of speak to you from the heart as a father and as a husband. Um, and, and hopefully that'll speak to your heart. Hopefully I'm not going to bore you to tears as, as doing that. But um, the greatest achievement um, of my life has always been my prayer that it would be my sons and that it would be my marriage, um, that it would be the greatest achievement. More than anything, more than nations, more than, um, you know, <laughs> nearly being shot and killed, thrown in prison, beaten, you know, more than any of that type of stuff for the gospel but that I would, I would see my sons um, follow in truth and, and be passionate, you know, followers of Christ and, and always give themselves uh, for the gospel as well. And I come, I come from a heritage, uh, really, of that. On my mother's side of the family, I'm a, I'm a fifth-generation pastor. My mother was also uh, very much a, she was a Bible prof at a Bible college and also uh, pastored. Um, in many ways, I, I would, I would uh, in my dad's later years, I would tease him and say, Mom was a way better preacher than you were. Um, and, and she really was. Uh, she could, she could she, but, but hers was more revelatory in depth. My dad was the fire. And so, uh, you know, it, it, when people are like, you know, you have some depth in your teaching, and, you know, but you got a fire in the belly. And I'm like, well, that's the combination of those two people right there. Um, because they both had that. And I remember as a, as a boy waking up, you know, it, never, it seemed like I could never get up too early, you know, too early to, to beat my mom to the breakfast table. And whenever I would, whenever I would go in, um, the, the uh, sort of the, the dining room breakfast area, it, we, we never had, you know, big homes or anything like that. But there was, a, the, my mom was always there and there was all these Bibles spread out, concordance, you know, um, lexicon, and, you know, all of these different uh, tools for scripture searching spread out, and she'd have her glasses on and her cup of postum because coffee made her shake, you know, and anybody remember postum? Am I going too far back? Okay, a few of you. <laughs> I remember postum, that's amazing, but anyway, um, and they're sitting there just devouring, you know, the word of God, and just had this, she had this hunger um, my dad was, was more of a, of, you know, he was kind of, 
he was kind of more of the doer, you know, and sort of his, I always kind of felt like his relationship with the Lord was kind of in the, um, you know, producing side of it. My mother was always, you know, just depth of relationship with Jesus. And, um, and it was really powerful. And that really, that really set the standard for my life. Um, it really sort of put things in, uh, you know, in sort of order uh, for me in ways that, you know, that, that, that uh, when I would compare it with other friends of mine, they, they, didn't, they didn't have that sort of same thing, that sort of same standard. Um, but it was, uh, ministry was always in the forefront of everything we did in our family. Uh, it was always the heart of everything. Um, uh, but, you know, in later years, just in a personal note, a personal part of my story, if, if any of you have read my second book, Identity Thief, you, you know this part of the story. But uh, my dad ended up uh, having uh, some affairs while in ministry and ended up, uh, I, 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 he, was a, he was a powerful preacher. My dad could lead, you know, a tr- he, he could lead a troop of people off the side of a mountain, you know. He just had that um, charisma, that passion, that leadership, strong type A, that you would just follow him off the edge of a mountain, you know, off the edge of a cliff, you know, and, and he, just, he just had all that, that sort of within him. But I watched him um, have, you know, very effective, very powerful ministry and be in some large churches, but then I saw it slowly die. And I saw this sort of bleeding out of, of uh, you know, of what happened. In, in my earlier days, I would have, with what I grew up uh, in, I would have viewed that as God's judgment against him. In my, in my time today, I don't see it as God's judgment against him. I see it as his judgment against himself. And that he pulled himself out from under the grace of God that was there for him. He pulled himself out from under God's grace um, to be under that covering of the grace and the blessing of God. And slowly, it just all sort of ebbed into nothing. My dad was a powerful preacher, powerful, I mean, you know, uh, had, had, he was a passionate evangelist. But in my, in my uh, teen years, um, I really hardly ever saw him evangelize. And I, but as in earlier years, I remember, you know, seeing him, you know, we would go to, living in Atlanta at the time, we would go and he would, he would go to underground Atlanta, which back then wasn't cool like it is now. It's a bunch of clubs and stuff like that and sort of high-end clubs. Back then it was, you know, strip clubs and bars and, you know, a bunch of homeless people sleeping on the streets in the 70s. And, you know, but um, he would go down and, I mean, he would come away with having led, you know, 15 people to Christ. He just, he just was a passionate evangelist. But again, I saw all that sort of ebb and die. And uh, a part of it was he was keeping it as a secret part of life. He was hiding it. I mean, excuse me, he hid that for probably about 10 years. And it was so painful. And we, my sisters and I would talk and we'd be like, what's happening? I mean, this guy's an incredible leader. He's incredible. What? And and they would always talk about, well, if we could just get a break, if we get a break. And there would be times where that all of a sudden there would be a there would be a visitation that would seem to come of the spirit that would happen. And in this season of visitation, you know, the church would begin to grow. Things would begin to happen. Things would begin to click. And then all of a sudden within, it seemed like within nine months, maybe a year, it would, it would slowly just, people would disappear and it would slowly just die out again. 
later after my father, you know, came forward and ended up confessing, you know, what had happened, um, we began to realize that in those patterns, he had, he had put that, those relationships aside. He had stopped having sex with those women. He'd stopped doing those things. And then he would, he would start fasting and praying again and start pro- pushing into, you know, things of, of God again. And then there would be this research. And it was like the Lord was, you know, breaking in again. And, and it was because he was coming back under this grace, you know. And um, I don't share this to be a downer to you. And I don't share it to, there, there may have, likelihood is that there are men in this room that have done the same. I mean, if you look at statistics, that's just likely. And uh, the, the reality is, is that God is always wooing us back. He's a good father. He's not smacking us around. He's not, again, it wasn't, it wasn't God coming after my dad in judgment. It was my dad moving out from under the grace that God had for him. And God is always wooing us back in to the place of his grace, to come under the grace, to come under the, he wants us to live this life of blessing. Uh, but of course, we know that uh, that there's always this temptation and this pull. And and in, in my book, Identity Thief, one of the things that I, I point out is that those temptations, those things, those thoughts, those feelings, uh, that desire to be with that other person outside of our marriages or things like that, those aren't our those aren't our feelings. Those aren't even our thoughts. Those are fiery darts of the enemy, and those aren't originating from us. It's it's it comes in. And it's something being shot into us. And, and it, the, the effect that it has on our life is how we respond. And it's either we respond in the action of it or we respond in the resisting of it. You know, in, in acting upon that or resisting uh, that. And, and there were several things. And to be, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just laying it all bare. Y- years later, because I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. Uh, I, I asked my dad, I said, you know, was mom like not having sex with you? Was mom like, you know, as a son, I mean, you don't ask your parents that question, I know, but we were, we were, the, we were the type of family that you could just ask anything, honestly. Now, I know not every family system is that way, but our family system was that way. We could argue and talk about, you know, we could be in an argument over something and then turn around and be laughing about something, you know, five minutes later. I mean, we just wrestling with things. Now, when I married my wife, totally different family system. In that family system, you don't talk about anything. And of course, I get in and I'm like, hey, I'm noticing you're struggling on something here. And I want to ask you about, and it's like everybody gets silent in the room and death stares at me. And I'm like, what? What? You know, I had no idea that there were other family systems out there and where people just did not talk about stuff or confront stuff. But um, in, in, uh, in, in ours, it was, it was there. And I asked, I asked my mom, I said, was, you know, w- and I asked my dad, I said, w- you know, was, was mom, you know, not? Because there, how many of you know, and I mean, we, we're, we're all men here, so this is easy to say. But there's, there's a lot of people that are, that, are, that are struggling with pornography and things like this, not just because of the temptation of pornography, but it's because they don't have a healthy sex life. And let's be honest. All the movies, all the talks that are being made about it are addressing, you know, sort of us as men in, in getting into those areas. But is it a addressing, what does a healthy sex life even look like? What is that? E- and I don't mean de- gory details. You know, we don't want to know your intimate details. You know what I mean? But I'm talking about what about that, 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 that balance of that? And, and so many people go getting, going off the rails. Well, what's, what's their relationship at home? 
And we, you know, we kind of as guys, when we slip up and screw up in those areas, we sort of have to take the blows for that. But is anybody asking, well, how's the balance at home? How's the intimacy at home? And with us as men, is it not just, is she putting out, sorry, I pastored in the hood, forgive me. You know, it, it, you know is she putting out, you know, uh, uh, you know or, or not? Is that the question, or, you know, or are we just not, you know, learning to that sex starts in the kitchen, you know what I mean? And starts with, you know, serving and blessing and loving and showing TLC and showing, uh, you know, tenderness. And it's really, it's really interesting. There's no structure to this talk. I'm just speaking from the heart, okay? <laughs> Obviously. You know, there's no <laughs> 10 points here. We're on point number three right now. But in the, it's too early for points. Um, but in the process uh, of this, you know, in, in, in discussing this and, and taking a look at it, like, for instance, uh, with my wife, you know, I, I didn't know. None of us knew there were love languages until a book came out about it, right? You know, and I'm sitting there affirming the stew out of my wife. You're the most wonderful person. She's like, yeah, great, thanks. Okay, okay, cool. And I'm like, what's the matter with you? You know, what's wrong? With because I'm words of affirmation and touch. You know what I mean? You know, for her, it's, it's, it's acts of service and gift giving. And so as I'm affirming her, she's like, well, if you really mean that, you'll do the dishes. You know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And here, you know, she's rearranging my sock drawer and fixing all the stuff in the, you know, and rearranging my, you know, my drawers in my, uh, you know, in, in my uh, uh, chest of drawers and, you know, going and rearranging the closet. And I'm like, you don't love me because you're not telling me how wonderful I am. And she's like, yes, I am. Look at your closet. You know, and I'm like, Pfft. But there's these different forms of communication. So n not only when we get married do we have to, you know, uh, get, a, get a balance of that. We got to learn to speak a language we don't normally speak because it's there. typically we marry somebody with a different love language. And so there's these balances. But it was, it was interesting getting back to what I had asked my, my parents. I asked my mom and my dad. And uh, both of them said no. There was always, you know, my mom said, you know, our sex life was consistent throughout. And my dad said, yeah, our sex, he goes, he goes, this wasn't about sex. He goes, this was about forbidden fruits being sweeter. This was about the temptation of the, of the, of the unknown and the thing that draws, you know, to. And, of course, as my dad very much was, you know, not just a pastor, but very much an entrepreneur, you know, and many, many people who are planting churches and stuff have an entrepreneurial side to them. And a part of it was sort of the, you know, forbidden adventure, you know, that was, that was there. And it was just a complete derail of the enemy. You know, the enemy set a trap and he fell into it. And then all of a sudden he got drawn into this thing and didn't know how to get out. You know, didn't know how to, how to see. And many of my family to this day, you know, aunts, uncles, great aunts, they look at me and they said, man, you are living your father's dream. Everything your dad wanted to do, you're doing and everything that, that, that he, he wanted to uh, equip the church, he wanted to travel the world and, and, and spread the gospel, he wanted to bring evangelism, he wanted to stir the church back into evangelism, and everything that you're doing is, is dreaming, because you know, you're living your father's dream. And I mean, of course, there's a affirming part of that, but then there's also a sad part of that, you know, because he didn't, he didn't really get to live it because he got derailed and he got cut short. I say that to you, in this sense of, you know, 
the thing that we were, I was talking with the discipleship group yesterday, and um, I said, you know, in the garden, what happened is, is that, you know, the, the enemy comes, he tempts Eve. Adam's right there. He could stop it, really, um, because it doesn't say their eyes were open, you know, and they realized they were naked until they both ate the fruit. It wasn't just Eve. It was when they both ate the fruit, suddenly their eyes were open um, because they were really one. You know, and Adam could have stopped it, and he didn't. We throw Eve under the bus, but if you take a look at that passage, it's, it, it, it reveals something there. It reveals something there that he could have put an end to it, and he did not do that. And so, but all of a sudden what happens is the enemy is, te- is telling them, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And what all of a sudden flooded them? Shame. Uh, not wisdom. Not profound insight, not seeing things in a profound way, but all of a sudden, the unbelief, responding in unbelief and believing the enemy rather than believing God, all of a sudden, their eyes are open and instantly they felt shame. And what does shame lead to? Blame. All of a sudden, what, what takes place after that is, you know, Eve, when God comes, she says, you know, Adam says, that woman you gave me, Eve says, well, you put that serpent in the garden, <laughs> you know, and shame just leads to blame. Rather than stopping and saying, you know, as David did when he was confronted about Bathsheba, I am the, I am the man. I am the man. And there's something, and I think the, the thing that gets the heart of God, and the reason why David was a man after God's own heart versus Saul, you know, if you take a look at the life of Saul, Saul was a linear leader. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He looked the part. He had a head and shoulders kingship, head and shoulders leadership. But David had heart leadership. He was a man after God's own heart. And I think he was a man after God's own heart. Part of it, yes, the worship, you know, uh, the heart to be in the presence of God. Of course, all that's a part of it. But I also think a part of it was his his uh, response, you know, when being confronted and being said, hey, there's an issue here. And he's like, I am the man. You're right. You know, Nathan comes to him and he says, that's me. And I think one of the things that we as a church need to do is make it a, a, an accessible place for us to, to, to approach each other. I mean, you know, when, I, when, when the Lord shows me somebody's sin in their life, which is not, not a lot, my first response isn't to go to them and say, you're in sin. I believe if God reveals sin in somebody else's life, the first response is to intercede and to pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, would, you, would your voice be heightened? And would the distractions that are blocking your voice come? And I think our assignment, number one, is to begin to intercede for that person and to begin to pray that they, were, they would be attuned to the Holy Spirit and that they would be aware and that all of a sudden that this draw, there would be a draw. So many times, you know, uh, people, when I teach on the prophetic, people are, are thinking, you know, that, that God's revealing sin for the purpose of exposing it and dealing with it and bringing correction to it. But I've, I've found the Holy Spirit is best at doing all that, you know. And then if they're not yielding to it, the Lord may say, hey, go. I need you to go. I need you to be that voice. But always, of course, that voice of compassion. And, I, and honestly, that's, that's not what I wanted to focus on this morning. But I think, there's, I, think, I think we need to hear that somehow. You know, because we, you know, part of us, this is a multi-generational crowd. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, I, I'm 53 years old. And, and from my age down, a lot of people are, are there, there's, there's, or at least with me, and, I, you know, I, my, but my following is mainly millennials. It's kind of a weird thing. I'm like, 
I'm not a millennial at all. My kids are millennials, you know. How did that happen? <laughs> it's, you know, but uh, so many of them see me as a father and respond to me as a father. Um, but one of the things that I think is that, you know, with, with different generations, like with my dad's generation, you never confessed anything. You never, it was, it was easier, you know, in their minds to hide than to come forward. Um, but the scripture says, you know, we need to be in the light as he is in the light. And there's something refreshing and peaceful about, about being in the light and about coming, you know, forward. But I think it's always when we approach people, there's always got to be that approach from the place of compassion and wooing the Father. And let me, let me read a passage to you just so we make this a legal meeting partly, but also because it's, it's, it is an important passage too. And this is, this is Paul speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. And he says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken uh, about you earlier. And, um, and, and kind of in a way, the way that starts you know, is it, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that we don't want to, one of the things my dad, my dad and I are super close. We have a tight relationship. My mother used to always say, you know, you, you two are best friends, and we really are. You know, uh, it was one of the most painful experiences of my life, you know, was walking through that process and that time because, you know, it was almost like when my dad, my dad confessed it to me personally. When he came to confess it to me, it was like he was telling me he was a pagan, I mean, he, wa he wasn't saying that he was disbelieving God and worshiping idols, but that's how it felt to me. You know, it was like everything that I had heard and everything I'd heard him speak all of a sudden just felt kind of false in many ways. And the Lord had to do some healing in me and realize that that wasn't the case, that he truly loved the Lord, but that he, was, he wasn't walking out, you know, that love. He wasn't wa his walk wasn't out of that love and out of that passion of following God, but he had been, again, you know, ensnared, if you will, by the enemy. But one of the things my dad would say a lot of it, he goes, what you should have done, if like in, in giving me a strike, and I hated that phrase, because it always said to me, you didn't do it right. And one of the things I always, I always intended to do with my sons is I was like, I'm never going to say what you should have done. And every now and then I go, well, what you did was great, you know, and sort of choke on it, because I realized I was about to say the very words that my dad said, you know, because it was really sort of set as the culture. You know, but I would choke on that. And, of course, he meant it in the best way. He was trying to, to th say, think of it in a different perspective. He just didn't have any other language for it. But uh, when I hear Paul starting off with that, here are my instructions to you. I immediately kind of like, Ugh, you know. And maybe that's a part of, of you know, me uh, generationally with that. But what he goes on to say is so, is so great because he says, may they help you fight the instructions. May they help you fight well. And, and he's not just talking about the instructions. He's talking about the prophetic words. If you get a prophetic word, man, th that's, that's a weapon of war. That's something you fight with. That's something that you contend with. And he says, um, may, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. And he says, cling to you. Man, have, how, many, how many of you have ever got a word from God? How many of you have ever had somebody speak a prophetic word over you? They're powerful. And man, you hang on to them. There's many times that I would be, I had received a prophetic word. Uh, I've received two, three, four different times prophetic words years and years and years ago. Some, some of them 20 years ago. Some of them 25 years ago that people prophesied to me what I'm doing today. 
you know, and that, it, it, that the exact same thing I was doing today. And man, when I went to go plant my church in Chicago and I was laying carpet to do that and pastoring a church and laying carpet because that was a tent making. I, I moved into a city where we didn't know anybody. We were just digging everything out of the dirt. We had no, nobody was giving us money. There was no group behind us giving us finances. We were just going in and just starting raw and just in the trenches, you know. And I remember I would come out of a house where I just laid, you know, carpet and I would, you know, hire these gang members I'd led to Christ because they needed to learn a trade because all they knew how to do was sling, you know. And I would come out and, you know, I'd have bloody knuckles and sweat pouring down. And there was a paper over the visor of my carpet van and I would pull it down and I would read this prophetic word that I had received from a guy, Dan, from Dan White, uh, back in 1993. And I would read this prophetic word, and it was talking about going to nations. It was ta- he says, the image, the Lord has spoken and said, the image I've put in you, you're going to release to people and to young people, and it will go all over the world, and will be a part of transforming uh, the world. And I would sit and I would read that, and on that, I still have that paper. It's got blood on it from, you know, bloody knuckles from the backing, carpet packing, and and cuts from my hands and sweat drops from pouring down sweat. And I kept that, and I would read that, and I would just say, Lord, you said. And I never begrudged doing that work. I didn't, because I led a lot of people to Christ being in their homes laying carpet. I prayed for a lot of people. I'd see people freshly laid carpet, people manifesting demons, you know, on the car, freshly laid carpet, with gang members going, ah, and I'm like, shut up, you were killing people before, get over here. You know, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, but it, but uh, you know, we saw amazing things. I never begrudged that, but I was always telling the Lord. I was fighting with that prophecy. I was making. I was in the battle of the Lord and going, Lord, you said, and I believe it. It wasn't. It wasn't out of anger. Like, why am I doing this? Why it wouldn't? I never prayed like that. I was like, Lord, I'm believing and knowing this is a promise from you, and what I'm doing right now is the foundation to build onto that. And to move on to that. But he says, cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to it. And I love that, that word. Cling to your faith in Christ. And keep your conscience clear. And how we keep our conscience clear is not by messing up or wrongdoing. It's by, it's by talking to somebody. It's by processing with somebody. It's by stopping and saying, man, I need you to pray for me because I'm really battling something. I never stop and say, you know, I'm such a lustful person. and Because I, I don't want to agree with the adversary. But I'll stop and say, man, I'm battling lustful thoughts. Or I'm battling greedy thoughts. Or I'm battling anger right now. I'm having a hard time keeping my cool at home. You know, when I get home after a long trip, I'm like, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm battling, you know, from the jet lag. And all, man, you know, pray with me. Pray with me to work through that. And, the, and just, and just that, that, that honesty and that transparency, man, it keeps a clear conscience. And it keeps, it keeps us fortified. Does this make sense? Yeah. Is it too early for me to have this kind of talk? Is that, am I blowing it? You want me to read from Numbers? We'll go there. <laughs> yeah, please don't. That's what that means. You're fine. For some people have deliberately violated the conscience as a result of their faith and have been shipwrecked. That's what I saw happen to my dad. I saw my dad shipwrecked. And one of my prayers for you guys is that none of you are ever shipwrecked in your faith. That you're never shipwrecked in your walk. You know, the, 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 again, the greatest thing, and I was, I was, we, were, we were 
I was talking with, uh, do you guys know who Tim Hawkins is, the comedian? Uh, we were, have, we're friends, and, and um, he, he and his wife grew up Baptist, and they about five years ago started getting intrigued by healing and the prophetic, and uh, we've been kind of mentoring them and talking, you know, and, you know, we get together several times a year and, and hang out and text all the time, stuff like that. And we were sitting having dinner one night, and our wives are quite a bit alike. And I looked at Tim, and I said, you know what's interesting uh, about our wives? And I said, you know what they're, the gift they are for us with having such public lives? And he looks at me, and he goes, yeah, they keep things normal. And I said, yeah. And everybody thinks that, you know, you, you don't want to live what's normal. But in our lives, normal is like a warm blanket, you know, sort of having something that's just normal, you know, just normal conversation, a normal. And he's like, yeah, they keep it normal. And I said, exactly. They keep, they bring us to that place where things are normal and things are, are just, you know, in, in that place of, of, of just, uh, you know, steady and regular. One of the things I wanted to say, because I want to, you know, I said that about my dad, what he said you should have said, but I want to say something that he said that's positive. One of the things I'd always made a, a commitment to do, and that my dad did well, well in his, in his uh, you know, role as a father, was this. I could talk for days about my mother too, but we're men, and so I want to speak about him. But one of the things that, my dad was always really affirming, um, even though he said what you should have done. That was just one little thing, you know. So much of what he was saying was, was, it was always affirmation. Of course, words, words of affirmation were important to me. They were obviously his love language too. And so hearing this affirming, and whether it's yours or not, affirming your children and affirming who they are and, and speaking to their potential is huge, you know. Barnabas, uh, his name means son of encouragement. And I, and I think that, that us as dads, I think we all need to be a Barnabas, you know, in our family. And be, and be men of encouragement. That the greatest thing that you could ever do with your family is call them. Call them to a higher place by affirming them to that higher place. Not saying what you should do is this, 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 and this. But let me t call out the greatness that's in you. Let me tell you, let me declare over your life the incredible things uh, that, that you're going to do. And uh, Bernie was telling me that, that uh, Jake with his son had, had uh, put a sign over. I hope you don't mind me sharing this. It's, a, it's out now. But uh, that, that I don't remember what the phrase was. But it was calling things out over Jake's son now, over his bed. What, what, what Bernie had called over Jake. And I thought, man, that's it. That's, what, that's, that's how I want my sons to feel and sons to be. And I remember all, I'm really blessed. I have six sons, all of, you know, ranging from 26 down to nine. And all of them love Jesus. All of them love Jesus. And, and, and our, our, our youngest son, we've got a video of him when we were ministering to these Iranians in Turkey at the, at the, at the Tur you know, uh, Turkish and Iranian border. And I've got a, we got a video of my, of my then eight-year-old son preaching to these little, you know, about 12 or 15 Iranian kids, telling them how to give their lives to Jesus, telling them. And it's, it's so cute because um, he's like, you have to believe in the virgin birth. And one of the little Iranian kids said back in Farsi, what's, what's virgin? 
And he goes, I don't know, but you have to believe it if you want to have a relationship with Jesus. I was like, I'm like, oh, we are so playing that on your wedding day. You know, that's coming back to haunt you right there. Yeah. But um, the, the, the power of that, and I want to conclude with this, but one of my sons went through, you know, I've, I've talked about, you know, my sons going through persecution for their faith and things like that. And, and one of them was going through really a dark night of the soul. Um, his time in high school, I'll never forget, I dropped him off. And he wanted me to drop him off right at the, at the door of the high school. But there were all these signs saying you weren't supposed to do that. And he was pressed, trying to press me to do it. And I realized later that there was probably some of his friends there. And he wanted to look cool by, you know, getting pulled up there, you know. And, uh, and, and, and I said, son, you know, I said, I can't do that. You just got to get out here. You know, you got to jump out quickly. And he said the words, he just said, I hate you. And man, that felt like just a spear went through me. You know what I mean? I mean, it's things you don't want to hear as a dad. You know, now, probably many of you have heard that. I don't know. Maybe, hopefully not, you know. But I sat there and I was like, oh. And later when I went to pick him up and, uh, you know, uh, it, it, he was, uh, it, from, he went from the, the school to the church. And, and he started just, I, I said, I want to talk to you about that. What, what, what's going on inside of you? And it's just like all, all of this stuff started unloading that, I, that he had not said, you know. And he was going through, like we could see a dark time. And the Lord began to show us some things about him of struggles and, and difficulties that, that we were seeing before that. But we, we had never heard anything. And all of a sudden he starts unpacking just this struggle you know, why, why aren't you doing what normal people do? Why don't you have a normal, you know, you could be a millionaire because you've got a strong work ethic and you work hard. Why aren't you, you know, and he started, he's saying things. I remember thinking about my parents, but never had the courage to say. And as, as he's sitting there and I remember taking uh, later, my dad at that time was living with us because my mom had passed away and I was just heavy. You know, man, it just, it just was like, like a spear that went through me. And again, because words of affirmation, well, words like that are extremely painful. You know what I mean? And I was, t I was driving with my dad, and I started just unpacking, and I said, I'm so worried about my son. I'm so worried. And I, you know, I said, he's, you know, and I it, thank God none of the rest of them have been through that time like he did, you know, and some of them are still, you know, in the oven, so, you know, prayerfully they won't, but, you know, we've been down that path already, and so we're prepared, but... As we're driving down the road, and I just started saying, you know, I, I didn't know he felt this way. I didn't know that he had all these, these things. And I, and I said, I'm worried about him. I'm worried about his spiritual life. I'm worried about what's happening inside of him. I could feel this struggle. I could feel this war. And my dad's like, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. And I'm like, you know, you don't understand, Dad. This is happening. This is happening. There's things he kept saying. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. And finally, just tired of hearing it. And I looked at my dad and I said, remember, we, we confront, you know, and I said, how do you know he's going to be fine? How can you know that? And he looks at me, sorry, and he said, because you're his father, he will be fine. And you have nothing to worry about. Now, that spear that had penetrated my heart was pulled out fast. And I remember sitting there and I looked at my dad and I pulled over, we're driving on the side of the road. I got out on the pavement and I got on my knees and I said, will you just pray for me and will you bless me? 
Will you just pray for me and bless me to be a good dad and to be a dad that is always communicating and demonstrating the fear of the Lord? And my dad blessed me in tears in his face. And, and my, you have to remember, I, you probably guys way back from Promise Keepers days, one of the guys was sharing a story, I remember at one of the events, and it was Bert, uh, uh, Bert Reynolds was being interviewed, and this interviewer looked at him, and he said, he said, how, you know, he, he asked the question, he goes, you know, you're a man's man, and every man wants to be you, you're a lady's man, every woman wants to be with you, and he says, Bert, how do you know? How does a man know when he's a man? And Bert turned and looked at the interviewer and he says, when his daddy says he is, you have power in your words and in your actions to call average men to great men, to call average women to great women. The power of the affirmation, despite my father's brokenness, despite all the darkness my father went to, and that I saw, and I saw unpack, still, the affirmation of him was the biggest affirmation I've ever received. You could give me words, you could give me great accolades, you could tell me other things. It, none of it will ever supersede that. There's no leader that has ever led my life that will ever supersede that affirmation. My friends, life and death is in the power of the tongue. You have the power I don't care what age. You may be thinking, well, my kids are, I got great grandkids now. It doesn't matter. Start where you're at. Call them to greatness because you have the power to release that. And if you ever saw the movie Father of Lights and you saw these major gang members of the Latin Kings in Chicago, and I remember one of them, I'll conclude with it. I know I'm over time, forgive me, but I remember one of them. And I was looking back, and, I, and this is where it spoke to me, the power of a father. And his name was Sam, this big guy with glasses. He's a really huge dude, and uh, this guy killed people. He's, you know, recently been released from prison. And I remember driving him to, to the police station for him to turn himself in after he had given his life to Christ. And he had had, but I remember shortly after he had come to Christ, I remember in church getting on my knees in worship and I just looked back, just briefly, and there was Sam and Fernando, two of those big guys that were in that movie. And they were, they were, they were putting their hands on the chairs and getting on the ground because I was getting on my knees. And I had led them to the Lord. And they're getting down and they're looking at me and looking at themselves like, am I doing this right? <laughs> am I doing this right? And I was looking and I was like, wow, this is so amazing. You know, here are these killers <laughs> are now trying to figure out how to bow, you know. And they're sitting there just looking at me, and finally I, I get up, and, I, and they're, 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 their heads are down because my head was down. And I went over, and I put my hand on Sam's shoulder. And he'd, he'd, only been, you know, he'd only been with Christ for about a month at that time, and I just said, Sam, I'm so proud of you. And I said, God's so proud of you. And he burst into tears. I mean, this, this guy's story you know, maybe now that he served his time, he could share it a little bit more, but it was, it was powerful. It, I mean, it was horrible and powerful. And he looked up at me with tears streaming down his face. And he said, no man has ever told me they were proud of me. And he said, thank you. Thank you. And even saying that gave him the courage just a few weeks later to come into my office and to say, I've killed people. 
and I need to go, and I need to make it right. I want a clear conscience. I want to lay this, and I want to walk clean from this day forward. And I mean, man, just the, the, uh, the power of the affirmation. Life and death is in your tongue. It's in your tongue. I'm, I'm sorry I, I went over. Let me, let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you. The power of affirmation that's in this room. The power that we have to speak. And you may be saying, I, I've never fathered. Paul didn't either. And yet he's saying to Timothy, my son Timothy, it doesn't mean you're not a father. Father, may we realize the power that we hold in our words. The tremendous power to speak life or to speak death. And may we always call people to the place of coming higher by affirming them to that place.